Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the 313th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by the one and only patron, friend of the pod, Drew Pierce. I'm Warren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we're answering some listener questions and we're diving in deep on the nature and process of rehearsing. What to do, how to do it, the pros and cons of the different aspects of it. We get a little nerdy on it. I have some kind of strong opinions on it, I've realized. We also talk about what we've been up to lately, which is always fun. I think both Matt and I have gleaned some lessons from recent jobs and we dive deep into working on different projects at the same time. There's a lot of great tidbits in here. I think you're really going to enjoy this. So without any further ado, Matt, do you have something you want to ask me? Uh, yeah, Orrin, I was, uh, I've been dying to know, uh, what have you been working on lately? Well, I'm happy to tell you. I do a lot of comedy and I shoot a lot of medium shots of people saying funny things and looking into camera. And I got a friend of mine, a producer, Pastor, told me that he wishes I shot more wide shots, which I also wish, <laughs> but... <laughs> Unfortunately, I spend a lot of time shooting wide shots and they don't make it into the edit or, you know, they're in they're the opening shot. And then the only version people see is the 15 second version, which just starts with somebody talking in a medium shot. The feedback I got on this treatment is that it has a lot of medium shots of a person. It's a, a treatment about pirates specifically. And there's a lot of medium shots of pirates. You didn't shoot these shots. These are just like the things that you are sourcing through your research and things like that. You're doing image pulls. It just so happens that all the pulls you pulled are medium shots. Yeah, I was looking, I was trying to find something very specific, a specific type of pirate in a specific type of situation and shot in a specific way. And so I found a lot of great shots that I thought looked really good, but they're all very similar to each other. So the feedback I got was, hey, this 30 page treatment you put together is kind of bland because it's just like different versions of the same shot over and over. I was like, well, that is pretty much what we're shooting, like a wide and a medium, you know, and maybe like an insert here and there. Like I'm basically making it look like the commercial that I'm going to shoot. And the feedback I got from a very experienced producer was like, you need to make the treatment just feel like there's more variety and more range. So on our latest draft of the treatment, we just added a lot of like close-ups of pirate related things, you know, gold coins, maps, eyeglasses. I almost put like a pirate ship on there, but that would have been really totally unrelated to what I'm shooting. But now when you just kind of flip through it on a skim, it does feel like it has a little bit more variety than one version previous where I just used a lot of similar shots. So I thought that was a good lesson to, you know, no matter what you write, no matter what perfect images you find to just like take a step back, just scroll through your PDF file or your website or your whatever, however you're doing your pitch, your, your ripomatic, and just make sure that not every shot is the same shot. Yeah, I, I would say just to, to double down on that, I assume that 
the only thing that gets read is the headline, like the biggest text on the page. And then it's the photo and then they're on to the next thing. Like full sentences don't get read. Full pages don't get read. At least on that first, if you know that, then assuming that that's how people are going to read things and then you can kind of like assess like does this flow from a macro level and a micro level all at once and ideally you can reward the people who want to dig deeper but the people who just have 30 seconds before they sit down to talk to you they can just skim through things and get the gist really quickly yeah tone tone style color palette which is something i didn't really use to focus on but i feel like when you zoom out it's really nice that the color palette is like literally just like your saturation levels should feel similar you know yeah and the lighting and i'll even just you know push the saturation up or down a little bit to match the images to each other we we were saying um off mic that basically i kind of just assume i'm gonna have to touch every image in photoshop a little bit and you are much more um involved photoshopper than i am but i'm assuming i'm always gonna need to make a little bit more negative space for titles and things like that like Mm -hmm. make things pop a little bit and i think just kind of surrendering to knowing that every single slide is gonna have to go through photoshop a couple times just makes things easier on you mentally you know yeah. Sorry for like being Adobe nerd extraordinaire on this podcast. I know it's not really about this, but one of my favorite tools for images that you're using for pitch materials is the crop tool in Photoshop. If you have it in content aware mode, so obviously everyone knows the crop tool. You can take an image and you can crop it, you know, cut off the sides, make take 16 by nine, turn it into a square, take a square, turn it. But, you know, you can use it in reverse too. You can take a square frame or like a 16 by nine frame, you want to make it anamorphic. You want to make it way wider. You can crop it open. And if you have it in content aware mode, uh, which is just a little checkbox at the top of the screen, when you're using the crop tool, it will try to guess what to fill that background. So something I do a lot is like it's a picture of someone standing like on the beach and there's a sky and I want to add a lot more text onto that image. I'll just crop up into the right, you know, and it'll extend the beach and it'll extend the sky. And honestly, it's like, pretty freaking good especially if you're covering it with text it looks like magic every time i use content aware fill i can't get over it it feels like showing someone an automobile for the first time so i've been doing that and then um i do believe i spoke before about this the novel did i talk about the like idea of writing a novel yeah so we had our meeting with the company temple hill yesterday and we told our guy that we don't want to write the novel that we want to do the scripted podcast. And I think he was really disappointed. (laughs) He's like, yeah, we just have like, you know, one of the top guys in publishing wanting you to write a book and you are, you don't want to write a book. I get it. That's fine. (laughs) So, um, I was like, are you way less excited about doing this like audio play, which I, I don't like the word audio play. It just sounds like something like my mom would be into, you know, he's like, no, no, we'll do We'll do this. You know, we're doing stuff with Audible. We've got a podcast division. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's fine. I just like, I love trying to get things on the New York Times bestseller list. I, hey, look, it's okay to admit to yourself that like writing a novel isn't your exact wheelhouse. It's not that I'm afraid of trying new things. That's like as directors, I think that's why we are directors, because every week we get to like, hey, now let's do a horror thing. Now let's do a thing with deaf actors. Now let's do a action thing. You know, now let's do a super emotional thing. Like we're obsessed with like finding new things to use our tools on. But it's writing a novel. It's 
it's a whole world that I don't know about the publishing world, you know, mm -hmm. and it's a tool set that is, it's a different discipline. Yeah. You know, but it does seem like a big opportunity. But again, and we talk about this, you know, our bet about whether you'll shoot your movie this year or not. We have so many things on our mind, aside from the fact that we need to generate constant income to support all these people in our life. And so taking, you know, weeks aside to go for gold, it's an awesome thing to do. 2022 is not the year for me to like take huge risks, you know. Anyway, what have you been up to? What have I been up to? That's a good question. Boy, I'm neck deep in, in these commercials. I'm finishing a post on something. We're writing a new batch of spots and also I'm scouting to shoot next week. So like it's a lot. The thing that I think is maybe interesting to talk about is that the campaign that I'm shooting next is five radically different spots. It's all for the same client and for the same brand. But otherwise, it was a thing where it was like, we got this brief and they were like, well, we want something like this and something like that. And like, you know, pitch us a bunch of different ideas. And we did. And they like were like, OK, well, we'll do these five totally radically different ones. It has been a challenge in a but way. But it has to be done in the same budget by the same crew and director. Right, right. Yeah. So that that's the only consistency is the is the brand and then the team making them. To your point of like, oh, it's been really fun to try to shift gears really hard, but it's been creatively challenging because you feel unfocused a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. Which is also the the way look, you make a movie or a TV show. It's not like every single scene is the same note and the same tone all the time always but because it's like you're creating five different things from whole cloth it's been wild man it's been wild like the performance styles are different between them some of them are more improv some of them are strictly scripted some of them are more presentational do you ever play music on set you know i do i do sometimes i have a recommendation for what i like to play actually yeah and it was an unpaid endorsement mother load by james brown Mm. which is like very jammy i think like soul is fun because it's like high energy like no one's like feeling mopey or anything but motherload is like not especially lyrical it's like a just a lot of like riffs and like ad libs and stuff and then stuff that repeats so you're kind of just like in this groove and having fun and you know you can be lighting a scene or whatever else you do so motherload is my that's recommendation a good idea you can also try yeah. to do what my daughter has started doing every mm -hmm. day now which is just, just saying, singing the chorus from a famous Disney song. No, she's she's saying, Alexa, play silly songs. Oh, good and move. it's like playing silly song playlist or whatever. And it's like every song is about like tacos falling from the sky or mm -hmm. like chicken teriyaki or something. Anyhow, the reason I ask you about music on set is because ostensibly if you're playing music, especially if you have actors on set. Like there's a vibe, you know, that you're trying to infuse into the mm -hmm. set, the performance, a lightness, like, hey, this is a fashion show. This is a sporting thing. This is like high tension, like whatever it is. I mean, I think you probably would be less apt to play it in super emotional scenes unless unless it takes place in, you know, mm -hmm. at Disney Hall and there's like orchestra sure. music. Or something. But when you do five different commercials and that are five totally different vibes, you don't really get to soak. You don't get to immerse yourself in like this world you know like if one of them is like a break dancing you want to watch a lot of dancing you want to see people you want to spend all this time on youtube and whatever this is kind of why i like to find something that's upbeat but not especially uh, strident it, do it doesn't like call attention to itself too too much and it's because i don't want to be preoccupied by the mood beyond like okay we're like grooving you know we're in a groove we're feeling it it's it's keeping us 
energized but not too hyped also i think that as a tiny aside as a snob i don't want to be thinking about what other people think of my playlist you don't want to be embarrassed you want someone to be like wait a minute is this so and so (laughs) right you know which no one would ever do no one gives a fuck honestly but that's part of the other reason where it's like okay you just go with a classic that's timeless and move on for sure but i guess what i was saying is like music aside i was just using that as an example of like Mm -hmm. a time you're trying to get a vibe going on for a scene or a performance or something and now now when you're doing five commercials and you're shifting gears so yeah all different you as the director who's like you're the protector of the tone Mm -hmm. and energy of the piece it's hard if you're doing something super fast and action-packed and then the next one is like a slow one or with no dialogue you know it's like you need to to shift your click your brain over to the next channel and I, i find that stuff really hard so hard even like when i i did that go 90 series miss 2059 mm-hmm. i was like begging the producers to like bring another director on to split the episodes with me because in that show we had a lot of different we we're kind of mimicking different genres for different episodes and i was like don't you think if we had someone just focusing on the horror one mm-hmm. while i'm really diving deep into the sci-fi one like they'll both be better and they're like oh yeah totally totally we can't afford another director sorry <laughs> um yeah. But it's it's hard. It's stressful yeah. to do different things at the same time. I think that I, I can take solace in because the cast is 100% new for each of the spots that like the gear shift is really incumbent upon myself and the DP and the crew for the most part. They've prepped hard enough that I think they've been able to get past it. And the cast isn't carrying any baggage from the previous spot the way myself and the DP are. Right. Of the five commercials you're shooting, do you have a favorite and a least favorite? Yes, I would say so. And I think the last time I did a series of spots like this, my least favorite came out best. And the ones that I prepped the hardest and was the most excited for are are pretty good. That happens every single time. It's really heartbreaking. Yeah. It kind of goes to show you that the one you put the least effort into sometimes can be the most magical when you actually make it and cut it because you haven't overthought it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. So I think on that note, maybe we'll segue into a question that's kind of related to this from one of our listeners. His name is Roscoe Guerrero, and he actually had recommended the director, Amanda Rowe, who was a previous guest on yeah, our thanks, show. Roscoe. Thanks for writing back in. So Roscoe says, longtime fan, patron, follower, Oren is an amazing podcast host. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm also a director and have a narrative project in the works, and I'm finding myself with a question that's coming back with wide-ranging answers, and I'm hoping you guys can lend, lend some advice. What are your thoughts on rehearsals for narrative? I've heard people say they do absolutely nothing, um, and then people that say the opposite and just do rehearsals over and over and over. I'm curious what your take is and also how much that changes depending on the genre. Like, does a dramatic scene work differently than a spontaneous comedic scene that needs to feel fresh? Maybe mm-hmm. action-type scenes and gags you would drill over and over, but the dialogue stuff is where I'm getting cut. My day job is in music videos and commercial stuff, but I'm making a big push into narrative and obviously it's a totally different animal. I'm shooting a short in a couple of weeks. Happy to hear your advice. Thanks so much. Keep killing it. Congratulations on the short, Roscoe. I have like a very clear cut answer in three parts. I have th- there's three questions that I ask myself. So the variables that you have to think through are how much time you have on set, right? Sometimes it's just like, okay, we're only going to get a couple times to run this because we're behind or because the schedule's packed or whatever. So just roll on the rehearsals and do the best you can. That one's the obvious one. Get that one out of the way. The other two are correlated. What is your training and process and what is the actor's training and process is important because I find that a person who has, and we talked about this on a previous episode, a person who just has really smart instincts and is naturally intuitive can put together a great performance or a solid performance, we should say. But as soon as you start to kind of adjust it or or touch it in certain ways, it falls apart and it gets worse and worse and worse. In which case, that's a finite resource that you have. Just shoot the rehearsals and, and go from there. But I believe that acting is appearing spontaneous, right? Like that's the whole point. You know, you had to have learned your lines and like you're not actually coming up with this. Acting is the illusion of a person thinking and feeling these things and saying these words in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. And so so the idea of like wearing it down, yeah, it's true. I've, I've witnessed that and I've, I've, I roll on rehearsals all the time and I've been in kind of every circumstance thereafter. But like a, a person who knows what they're doing shouldn't get worse with every take, right? They should get better. And so that comes to the final thing, which is your process, right? So the, the ways in which I find that my performers get better is in finding and exploring and tweaking the colors and beats and twists and turns of a, of a line, right? So like if a person is playing something one note the whole way through, but there's actually a reversal there or two different thoughts or you can find a different color or, you know, all of that stuff is really worth digging in on. And that can happen well in advance and is fun and it's really fruitful. 
And it's kind of what I was getting at once upon a time when I was talking about treating your auditions as your first rehearsal. You know, it's like, can you figure out how to work together in a way where you speak the same language and can decode the text and find make it richer? But if they don't have the training or practice or experience to know how to do that, then you're only hurting yourself and just kind of shoot what you can. So you're almost saying that if they're good actors, <laughs> and if they're not good actors, give them some like freshness. I hesitate to agree with the good versus bad, but technical, trained, practiced, yes. Right. If you equate that with good. Yeah, it may be experienced. Or, exper- yeah, that, yeah, then yeah, I would say so. But that doesn't mean that like uh, a young actor who doesn't have that experience or hasn't trained enough, who has a ton of awesome intuition or essence, that that doesn't make them a bad actor, but it does make it harder to mold the clay so to speak just because matt gave the you know the it depends answer i'll try to give like my variables that i think about and some things that i do that obviously your mileage may vary but i love rehearsals i would rehearse every single thing if i could unfortunately i almost never get to rehearse anything let let me ask because because i will roll on rehearsals almost as a rule Mm -hmm. but most of the time the reason that you rehearse is because like there are going to be technical issues that come up the camera doesn't needs to adjust something or doesn't know where it is so sometimes those those takes aren't usable do you roll on rehearsals or or how do you mitigate that process i mean i usually do one blocking rehearsal without rolling especially mm-hmm. if there's a camera move and we need to but get before or after lighting and blocking i guess after lighting i, I gotcha. try to yeah, start yeah. rehearsing the camera as soon as i can And people get annoyed with me because they're like, we're not ready. We're in the middle of things. But my thing is like, I want to see how this pan feels because we're lighting everything based on what the camera needs to see here. And if I don't like this pan and we end up not using it, then Then we're wasting all this time. Yeah, Yeah. we can just put a a light on a stand here. So I try to kind of like rehearse things. And nowadays I just shoot the camera moves on my phone. I'll try to get the actors in there while they're lighting or right before they're lighting. So DP and I can look at it. Jordan Brady had this interesting tip on Instagram, which he said, show the actor the audition that got them the part on set so they know why you chose them and what you liked, which I thought was interesting because a lot of times we'll cast someone, but they don't know which take they did. Sure. Or you'll just be like, one that we liked. just do it like you did in the rehearsal right? or in the audition. And they're like, well, I don't, I don't know what I did. Right. Well, so on that note, I don't think rehearsals that are like take place a long time before the shoot like weeks ahead of time are super helpful for the performance on the day but i do think they're very helpful it depends on your script analysis though you know if you have if you have it all written down what the motivation is here or there or whatever and you have it as a reference you know right you can be remember take this beat here to think about that or whatever yeah so i do think they're helpful in terms of for you, the director, they're helpful to mm-hmm. see if the story is working and see what you want to tweak and see if the dialogue's working. And But I'm saying an actor can take those notes, too. An actor should... Like, if an actor shows up to a rehearsal and they don't have a fucking pencil, yeah, that's, like, a real problem. Right. If they have a pen, that means they think mm-hmm. that they don't make any mistakes and they'll mm-hmm. never need to erase <laughs> anything. But you get my point, right? Like, if you're not there to take notes... Sure. And, but I guess if I had, like, an then, hour... Then, yeah, you're wasting everybody's time. If basically. I had an hour with like 
three actors, your four actors or something. I do wonder, I, I might find more value. And now this is narrative stuff. And I'm not talking about commercials or music sure. videos or anything super short. I'm talking about things where there are characters and emotions and relationships. I do sometimes find that I would rather spend that hour talking about the characters than running, than running the it. scene. Um, well, and I, 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 look, I think that's maybe there's a, some latitude to the term rehearsal. Right. Um, but yeah, when we're talking about scene analysis, I think, I think that that certainly that should, if you're good at taking notes, carry over. It'll, obviously, it'll be less fresh than if you did it yesterday or whatever, but like. Yeah. You well, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you have an opportunity to do rehearsals, try to do them like a couple of days before the shoot. You know, don't yeah. do them like a month before the shoot. Yeah. 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 Um, because, you know, by the time you get to the shoot, it's like now it's a different location. It's a different script. Now we've changed out half the actors. Sure. Um, you know, I do think chemistry is important. If it's you cast an entire family, I think it's obviously they should meet each other before being on set. If you cast the husband and wife, they should know each other unless the whole point is that they don't know each other. Um, you know, I, I think there, there's yeah. some things you can do there that are helpful. And like Matt said, the better the actor is, the less you need yeah. to do that. Um, but, but it's still helpful for good actors also, you know, just to literally for them to see the other actor's style. Cause my, my mm-hmm. wife, when she acts, she'll come home and she'll be like, Oh, this actor is so weird. He just like wanted to over talk everything. And I was like, let's just do the scene, you know, mm-hmm. um, every actor is different. So I think your advice of figuring out how these actors work and what you're most comfortable with is super helpful. But if you get a rehearsal day, my, I don't think you can, that it can ever be a bad thing. I think it can be good. My wife, you know, she does a lot of auditions and we do probably on average five to 10 takes per audition. I'd say undoubtedly the last take is better than the first take because we've, figured out all the good things that came naturally and then we found additional things and and that is actually a lot of comedy that's where we find the jokes like oh would it be Mm -hmm. funny if you dropped this thing or like did the double take or try to take where you're the biggest fan of this person you know you follow Mm -hmm. them on instagram and you're judging them secretly in your head the whole time you're having this conversation like those are things you don't have time on set to try out. I'm a fan of rehearsal. To your your anecdote about your wife coming home and having a different style than um, than the other actor, I think it's also again worthwhile to to figure out and ask how an actor likes to work, but also like where they've studied or what school of thought they're from. You know, because I think it doesn't surprise me that your wife, who is a trained improviser, who was up on stage for years, coming up with incredible scenes you know on the fly doesn't want to labor over you know wants to keep it spontaneous right like that's her superpower that's yeah. a thing that and, she does especially to, well to the scene i most recently remember her talking about was like her and her husband are walking through a carpet store looking at or a rug store looking at various rugs uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. um and then they're kind of shocked by the sure something the owner is doing there but what i'm saying is that her process is based on being surprised by her scene partners that's part of it and reacting off of that in the moment right yeah but also like not not over complicating a scene i guess it's it's all just to illustrate the point of like you know if an improviser and a method actor are in the same scene part of the director's job is to figure out how like where they meet in the middle and how 
finding their commonalities and figuring out a way to, for them to work together. And so that's another thing that rehearsal can be valuable in doing, you know? So maybe it's not running the scene over and over again, but maybe it's doing some improv because method and improv do have a lot of commonality. You could do scene improv there that could be really fruitful for instance. Yeah. And it's also so nice to not have like the producer and a cinematographer and all these people looking at you and AD waiting for you to finish um, at rehearsals. Uh, and it's also a place like, especially if you don't know why the scene's not working or you're not super confident with actors, it's like actually your opportunity to ask the actors to help you, you know, mm-hmm. to say mm-hmm. like, how would, does, does this scene work? What do you, you know, mm-hmm. do you guys have any ideas to make this better? Or how would you say this more naturally? Or, you, you know, or like, does this feel natural to you? Yeah. Or, right? w- or ask them questions about the other actors in the scene, mm-hmm. you know, like, do you like it when he does this or is there a different way you like, you know, and then they'll start revealing things that, that, that work or don't work, you know, and things mm-hmm. from their life that apply to the scene. And I don't know. I love rehearsal. I never get it. It's always the first thing that gets cut because it's an easy thing, you know, from the producer's point of view, it's like, well, do we really need to pay all these people for an extra day when we have all these other things to do? Can you just like talk on the phone and then do it on set? And unfortunately, you know, a lot of times the answer is like, sure, I guess we'll do, we'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, guess I, don't know. So. I love rehearsal as if I had to answer yes or no to rehearsal, it would be a hundred percent. Rehearse. Yes. A very thoughtful question. And I think asking yourself, what would I do with that time? What, what's valuable to me? What am I trying to find? What are the goals? Um, this one's a quick one. It's from Joey family patron, long time listener. He says, I've been spending the last month or so gathering all my work and writing up FFmpeg commands to export in the highest quality with the lowest size to stay within my limits to upload to Vimeo because I've found out that they're now potentially changing their price point and making it more expensive if people are downloading and playing a lot of videos off of your Vimeo page. And it can be incredibly expensive. And he linked to two articles where Vimeo is like trying to charge people $3,000 a year to use their service and how they're really trying to pivot from being like the indie version of YouTube to more of a B2B video serving company that is is really catering to businesses more than people like us. Personally, I'd never heard of that. I have a Vimeo Pro account. I think it's like 60 bucks a year or something. I don't know how much it costs. And I love it. I haven't had any issues so far, but you know, it's mainly just fuels my website. And whenever I want to show people videos I edited or I'm working on something, I use it to send private links. And obviously I create reels and stuff to get jobs on Vimeo, but I've never run into any bandwidth issues. Have you heard of this? What What do you think? Is there a legitimacy so, to this? So concern? I'll be honest. Uh, I had not heard of this problem until Joey emailed us. Thank you, Joey. Um, and it, to me, this sounds like a very narrow challenge because basically I think that you and I are on the lowest end of the ideal user. We're paying users for, for Vimeo and we have zero hopes or, or expectations, I should say, of streaming a ton, like a high volume of video, right? Like if I had like 300, 500 views on all of my videos a month, that would be a huge month for me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, we use Vimeo as a tool to host our website and videos. Our, right. Our, exactly. Our reels, basically. And and they're shown to very 
targeted people. It's not like yeah. we're not trying to go viral or anything. I mean, most right. of, so like, of my stuff isn't even accessible from Vimeo.com. It would be like 10 or 20 people a month are looking at stuff, my stuff on Vimeo, right. I would say. And those 10 or 20 people can hire me. So like that. So it's perfect. I think that it's it's kind of a funny thing because to me, if you want to go viral, YouTube or TikTok or Instagram are the places to host your videos, right? Mm-hmm. And if you need to showcase on a B2B business to business sort of situation, which is essentially what we're doing, but oftentimes like a, a production company will host all of their videos there and send showcase links to different companies and things like that. It makes sense for them as well. No matter what, though, the the volume... I think the 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 streaming cap was like two terabytes a month or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was like a really really high cap, frankly. And so I would be very curious to learn how many users this really is, it's really affecting. So I guess that could be a challenge if you're if you're sending film screeners like where like file sizes are much bigger. But even still, you know, yeah. people aren't streaming that that much. So I think it's a little bit of a thing where I wouldn't sweat it too much if you're sending screeners or you're doing kind of really targeted streaming. Mm-hmm. If you're building your Patreon business and you need invisible or unlisted videos it's also youtube will do unlisted videos so i guess I, i'm i'm straining to think of a circumstance where your bandwidth usage is so great that youtube doesn't make sense right well youtube just sucks to embed the video quality is like inconsistent they change their mm-hmm. rules all the time i love vimeo you know you can make it just seem like <clears throat> the video is part of your site and you're not going to it's not going to start recommending pewdiepie or Gangnam Style at the end of your Vimeo videos. It'll recommend other things from you, and you can customize it. But also, like, I think that that user experience, I don't know, maybe I'm just being a little narrow-minded in terms of, like, seeing the way that I use it and not seeing a middle ground, but the counterpoint of your thing of saying, like, oh, well, I don't want, I want to customize this situation. YouTube, if you're looking for views, the algorithm is ideally going to help you out. Right, right. If you're looking for views in YouTube, yeah, you go there. Right. If you're looking to host your own videos, keep using video Vimeo until they kick you off. Uh, but the one thing that Joey said he's doing is like recompressing his videos to be smaller mm-hmm. sizes so he stays within his limits. And I could be totally wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure Vimeo recompresses every single thing you upload. They do. Yeah, yeah, they so do. I don't know that that makes a difference. On the contrary, you can like upload ProRes 4x4 files up there and they'll turn them into small yeah, h264 file yeah. so anyhow i guess what i'm saying is, is like don't sweat it unless you're really intending to build a giant mainstream business on yeah on Vimeo unless you're planning on being successful don't worry about it but you know super successful how big is like a an h264 file for say a short of the week or a staff pick yeah like 200 megabytes i don't know yeah that's probably about right 200 megabytes so, like, going Vimeo viral, 100,000 views, yeah. maybe? Yeah. On the high end. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's probably five figures. So, don't sweat it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're not sweating it. But, you know, I just checked. I have 449 views this in the last 30 days. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and that's, like, solid. That's fine. You know, people watched a couple of your yeah, videos. And the craziest thing is most of them were on desktops. So, you mm-hmm. know, it's like corporate businessy people. Yeah, yeah. It's They're watching on research. a computer. Um, so, yeah, I apologize if I'm being too 
too focused on our specific way of using Vimeo, but um, but I'm, no I'm not thinking about it too much. So good luck, Joey. Let us know. Apologies in advance if I cost you thousands of dollars in bandwidth <laughs> fees. But, uh, but think about YouTube.com. It's a pretty good website, too. Well, Matt, it was great talking to you about um, lessons we've learned recently on our jobs and uh, listener questions, rehearsals, Vimeo issues. Do you have the time to join me for an unpaid endorsement real quick? I do indeed. Unpaid endorsements. So I started watching Adam McKay's new show on HBO. Oh, the the basketball one. Yes, it is called Winning Time. Uh, I believe a previous guest and pal, Payman Benz, uh, directed some of those episodes. It's about Magic Johnson and Jerry Buss and like the whole rise of the Lakers dynasty, which I had no idea about. I mean, you know, I've lived in L.A. for a really long time. I obviously know about the Lakers. I know about Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Kobe and everyone. I didn't realize what a dump the Lakers were before Jerry Buss. I was fascinated to learn that Magic Johnson and the NBA had nothing to do with the show. Uh, Magic Johnson, just like Pam and Tommy, has said he will not watch it and he doesn't want to watch something that wasn't, didn't have the actual people you know, from the Lakers involved in making it. And the show is based on a book, but it's just... It's so fun. John C. Riley plays Jerry Buss and he's just incredibly fun to watch. And there's this new actor playing Magic Johnson that's like super solid. And even though Magic Johnson is complaining about Lakers not being involved, one of the actors in the show, the character is Norm Nixon and he's actually being played by his son. He's great. Everyone's great. (laughs) And the style of the show is just, you haven't seen a show like it. It's almost like they shot it like a documentary being shot in the 80s. 70s, 80s, whenever Magic Johnson played. It's interesting. They'll cut back and forth from like super pristine looking shots to what looks like a VHS camera. It's stylized in this really cool way. And people look into the camera and like fill in information. Gabby Hoffman's in it. She's great. And the last episode I watched was directed by Jonah Hill. And it was really good. You know, you don't have to know much about basketball. So far, there's actually been almost no basketball. (laughs) It's just, it's a great, fun look at L.A. It's about this young man, you know, from Michigan moving to L.A. and just discovering himself. That boy ends up being Magic Johnson, you know, one of basketball greats. I'm really enjoying it. So that's my endorsement. Love it. Well, well, you know, that um, reminds me, have you ever read uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's like film criticism? (laughs) No. Dude, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is very smart, very thoughtful, and like an awesome voice in film criticism. I've always loved him. I'm not a huge basketball fan. I like kind of loved him from like Airplane or like he's in an Ernest movie. To me, he's so uh, impressive and awesome to be funny and thoughtful. And so, yeah, I think that's actually maybe my endorsement is following Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as a film critic, I think is interesting. He writes for the New York Times sometimes. I'm seeing there's a Criterion Channel special where he he does an Adventures in Movie Going where he talks about Stagecoach and Seven Samurai. It's fucking awesome, man. What a cool dude. So I guess my endorse, my unpaid endorsement is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Cool. Well, a great endorsement. Sounds like you had that planned mm-hmm. for months before you endorsed it. Yep. Uh, well, I'll check it off the list finally. Now, if you want to endorse something, we'd love to hear about it. Please email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear everything. If you have a question, if you have a comment, if you want to tell us how wrong our advice is, we really enjoy hearing that stuff. 
Again, just shoot it pod at gmail.com. If you want to support us, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash just shoot it pod, where you can just uh, give us a couple bucks because you like the show. Maybe you've learned something. Maybe you've learned what not to do from us. It goes to editing. If you give us 15 bucks, we will send you a hat that says just shoot it on it, which is a great thing to live by if you're a filmmaker. And if you want to follow us on social media, we're at just shoot it pod across everything. I'm at Smitey Pileg on Twitter. I'm at O Kaplan everywhere else. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow. This episode was edited by Noah Bayshore. Thanks, Noah. And you're listening to music provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.